Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. We're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. There's one piece that I'm working on about the electrification, how Bitcoin represents the electrification of money, which is this long part of this long journey of the electrification of the human species that goes all the way back to the light bulb, which was the first killer app of electricity. But then we electrified climate control, refrigeration, appliances. You can maybe hear my dishwasher, electric appliance working in the background to wash dishes for me. Um, and we have just been on this progressive thing. And, and now we're at this moment where we're actually electrifying value and electrifying scarcity. And in the same way that the light bulb replaced the candle and the drying machine replaced the uh, clothesline and the washing machine replaced the uh, washboard and the dishwasher replaced the gloves, you know, the, the rubber gloves and the sponge. Uh, that we used to wash dishes with, uh, Bitcoin is replacing gold and, and fiat money. And, and it's the same dominance that when you bring electricity to something, you allow it to be everywhere instantly. Uh, like you don't need to go to the store to buy candles anymore, right? You don't have to buy the light bulbs terribly often, not nearly as often as the candles. And you don't need to have someone ship an ice cube to your house every day to put it in an ice box. The electricity delivers coldness straight into your house and you don't need to go mine gold and you and, and and so i'm still putting together the final pieces on that but there's a little bit of um just the power of truly electrifying scarcity right that i think fiat money was this kind of non ineffective electric money because it lacked scarcity and so it, it's it's collapsing on us uh, but the, like the kind of like how the light bulbs the initial first thousand prototypes all they created light, but they burnt out in like a, in under a second. And then finally, the formula was created by Edison after like a thousand tries of every different chemical he could come up with. He found one that was stable, and so we could have electric light that endured. And I think this is what Bitcoin represents in the electrification of money. It's money that endures and and doesn't uh, burn out. And so that's kind of that's a, a bit of an exciting piece uh, for me to write. The the other stuff is just more about. Um, Things like uh, I was having a conversation with somebody and we're realizing, you know, when you're talking to somebody, you're getting in their mind um, and you're getting out of your mind. So it was just kind of this we, we had this really interesting conversation about what it means to talk to somebody. Um, and and of course, it's kind of humorous because we have the expression of what it means to be out of your mind, uh, that you're crazy. But it's good to spend some time in your mind and also a little bit of time out of your mind. You can take that however you like it. Back in the day, there was an SNL, like Jack Handy, Deep Thoughts. I think we could do that with Tomer. 
deep thoughts with Tomer maybe once a week, man. That's some there you go. Very very insightful thing. Something to chew on for the for everybody. I mean, the electric electrification. I don't know how to speak. That's why I don't really talk much. But Alex is hitting me up. But what's up, everybody? How you guys doing? Worth Peter. Good morning, Mike. What's up, guys? Grumpy morning. Grumpy. Yo, yo, yo. Bang, 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 bang. Oh, my gosh. You guys got feisty last night. Block fly rocket ship. Let's go. (laughs) What the heck kicked off all the feistiness last night? It was like everybody really, like, did every. (laughs) Did everybody just realize that Nick Carter's fund like invests in other things other than Bitcoin? Like, have people not been pay- like? Do you guys just not pay attention? Because it's been open for like the last couple years. It <laughs> like, just I don't understand what getting, it what. Yeah, the the best part. The, the best part was all the trolling he was doing with his oh, with his tweets. He's and his, very and good his, at trolling. Oh, it was awesome. Good morning, people. Good morning. How art thou? Morning, Dude. Alex. Morning. Dude. Good morning. Good morning. Tomer, Terrence, Chris, Jacob, hey, Shane, Mike, Peter, Earth. Holy crap. There's like this serious, like, hardcore Bitcoin or really ornery vibe going on right now. I love it. There's a lot of, uh, pent up sexual frustration everybody's acting like some 14 year old teenagers trying to like pick a fight with each other it's ridiculous so are you projecting mike dark tetrad is this a projection thing absolutely that's totally what i'm doing right now (laughs) he's mad because somebody accused him of having too much furniture (laughs) oh that is a a low blow funny like Try and poke fun at my lawn chair because I'm uh, I'm stacking sats, guys. Go for it. Sorry, why do you have a chair? Instead of the chair, the chair is the question. On my balcony, I have a lawn chair instead because I don't want to spend the money to get something that would be considered like adult or whatever. Hold, hold on, hold on. You know what's you know what's great chair. about that? You know what's great about that is Terrence was giving you the grace of allowing you to explain yourself as to why you own a chair. (laughs) Mike, the lawn chair isn't the issue. The issue is the desk in the foreground of that picture. No, dude. If you're going to try and attack a man's desk where I spend spend 90% of my time, you can get the fuck out of here. Just saying. No, you're not going to win that one, dude. Sorry. That'd yeah, be like... fair point. Fair point. You know, like it's tools of the trade, bro. Like, you know, if you're going to walk into a gunfight, you probably ought to carry a gun. And a good gun. Yeah, specifically <laughs> a good gun. So I'm super curious. I heard a little birdie say that Shane Trammell was taking on Nick Carter, Dan, and Udi in a space last night, and he was whipping some ass. What was that all about? Fill me in. Get me caught up here. I'll step in here. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, um, I don't know how many of you were on that space last night, but um, I just stumbled on it by accident. And then, um, you know, I think it was kind of a, just a pity party uh, that, that Nick was having for himself. Um, and, um, 
he brought, you know, little Eddie held up there with him to kind of run cover. And I would uh, probably get a tougher posse if I were Nick, but um, Shane just really got tired of hearing the projection and just stepped up to the plate and started asking hard questions. And, um, you know, quite frankly, really couldn't answer them. Um, so I just thought he held himself like a gentleman. Um, I thought he was firm and I thought he represented the community of Bitcoin at a time that is extremely critical. And I think that's what's most surprising about Nick. I don't knock Nick for whatever he's doing. That's his business. Uh, but you can't, you can't use Bitcoin as a pawn, um, to build your business. And then at the most important inflection time, um, dilute all the work that you've done. That's the way I viewed it. Worth, why do you think that this is the most important inflection time for Bitcoin? I think we are, I think we're at that point where um, the centralized powers that be realize um, that they did, if they were going to kill this thing, they were going to, they had to do it 10 years ago. And now it's, um, now it's running away from them. And so, uh, as Mark Esco says, and now they fight you. Um, and I think we're, we're in a fight now. And, um, you know, to expand on that, what's the regulatory environment going to look like? Uh, what's the tax environment going to look like? Um, you know, would there be a point where countries would fully ban mining? Uh, would the U.S. at some point fully ban mining? to protect their interest. I mean, I don't know about that. I just feel like I feel the heat uh, and I'm not, I'm not afraid of the fire, but it just seems like at a pivotal time that he's walking away from the community. That, that, that's, that's, that's the way I read it. All right. Uh, I don't know who's next. Go ahead, Tomer. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's obviously disappointing when any, whenever anybody, who's intelligent does something that feels like it um, is in a sense of betrayal and, and Nick to, for his own uh, <laughs> credibility is saying, Hey, I've, I've not been a Bitcoin only person all this time. I don't know what you're all so upset about, but kind of the reflection I wanted to offer on what you were just saying was well, Bitcoin will endure all of these, all of these things. It is a low time preference thing. Uh, it, you know, it's just one block every 10 minutes. It'll adjust its difficulty, even if a bunch of countries ban mining and even if there's a bunch of attacks. Like Bitcoin's not really in danger. And the important lesson that I'm reflecting on, say, over what's happened since since the all-time high or over the last year or even in the most recent window where a handful of companies that were overly rushed right trying to get yield on bitcoin and trying to and people who are leveraging themselves to try to get as crazy returns too quickly as bitcoin is in a sense saying to us take your time slow it down everything you know this too shall pass and everything that you're after will come but you know here we are as bitcoiners we talk about having low time preference and then we get ahead of ourselves we get ahead of our skis saying we you know we've, we've got to make this happen quickly it's all gonna it's all gonna end really quickly and the truth is people have been calling for the end of the world pretty much throughout the entire history 
of, of the world. There are dark times. There are things that are difficult. Some things get worse. Some other things get better at the same time. And, and we march along. And, and for me, it just, I think, I think the, the lesson with the wild swings, but the slow and steady nature of Bitcoin, it is, it, it reminds me of the story of the tortoise and the hare and Bitcoin is the tortoise that's just going to win here. It's not, it's not trying to beat returns. It's not trying to get anything crazy. It's just trying to offer steady value delivered regularly, consistently with high level of predictability and near certain level of predictability and reliability, right? And, and that's really valuable in and of itself. And so you can't rush it because the whole point is there's nothing to rush. It's interesting to me that every knockoff coin out there thinks that they need faster block times, more transactions per second. And nobody's proposed that for, for Bitcoin. Like we know that slow and steady wins this race, even just at the protocol level. So there's a part of me that's just saying, you know, like let's let's slow it down. Let's let's not let up on the principles and the integrity of what we're doing. And it and that's part and parcel of this slow and steady wins wins the race thing and all this other noise of these fly by night companies and these fly by night uh, altcoins they will come and they will go and bitcoin will still be there for the ages right and that's the piece that just says to me it's okay for us to slow it down and not you know we don't need hyper bitcoinization yesterday we're not we're not really ready for it it's going to take time and and i think part of this time that it's going to take the last point i'll make is there's a lot more people to bring into the fold Right. Like this isn't just about the toxic remnant saying to everybody, you're either with us or you're against us and you have to decide today. It's quite the it's quite the opposite. It's like this is this is something for all all of humanity throughout all time. So it's going to take time to bring people on. We want everyone to come on board voluntarily and well informed. And so that's going to take time. Right. We can't force people and we can't trick them into it. So. This is it's all about education and it's about people coming on when they're ready. So that's that's kind of my two cents on it. I know that's a bit of a not exactly uh, why we should kick this guy when he's down or uh, celebrate um, more lousy companies going out of business in the short term. Uh, it's just my zooming out for today. Yeah. Uh, Papa I, Tomer is in with the wisdom and the adulting noodle. Wait your turn. Mike Dark Tech Trad. What's up? I got I got uh, two things I wanted to to bring up. Um, with I agree with Worth. Um, I think that this like what we're experiencing now and what we'll be experiencing over the next couple months is extremely important for the health of like the Bitcoin network and the Bitcoin asset. Um, because this is we're finally going to see what happens as far as like Bitcoin operating in a macro recessionary environment. Um, I'm not saying that, like, I think that Bitcoin's going to die or go away or anything, but it will be very interesting and very um, educational to watch what happens. So I agree with Worth on that. And then uh, I wanted to also make a comment with regards to, like, these recent developments of um, personalities within the space. Um, you guys, as far as, like, the Bitcoin greater community, you guys have to start, like, actually living by the, like, stop talking and living by the words that you preach and not placing these personalities on pedestals like these people are all people like they're no different than you and me none of them are saints none of them are perfect none of them are like untainted or perfectly clean i don't know why you guys are talking about these purity tests none of us are pure like and i'm not trying to i'm not 
coming out here defending shit coiners or anything. But like with regards to Nick, like he's been open about his his position for years. And now when things are getting bad and painful, everybody's going out with the pitchforks trying to pick a fight. Like it just you guys need to grow up, like accept that some of these personalities that like Nick has brought up very, very intelligent conversations, especially around the energy front. And you guys are just going to like try and burn him at the stake because of I don't like I don't even know what he said that like pissed everybody off that finally tipped the, the bucket over. But you guys got to grow up, like relax a little bit. All right. Um, I don't want to remove anybody from this platform, from the stage. Like, I want to keep all these guys up here, but Shane wants to come back up. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll balance. I'll balance, Alex. All right. D, who, who's next? I don't know who's next. No, let's go with Noodle. I think Noodle has his hands up, and then I'll, I'll, I'll respond. All right, Noodle, do your thing. Uh, I was just going to say that, you know, on, on the whole Nick Carter thing, that there's no doubt in or refuting his previous points and, and support for or what I thought was support for proof of work and Bitcoin energy consumption, etc. But in my mind, if he had conviction in, in what he was saying, it just begs the question why he's all of a sudden so supportive of Ethereum, changing his, his whole name to Ethereum. He clearly knows the fundamental he's difference. He's just trolling us. Yeah, but but he he clearly knows the fundamental differences between proof of work and, and proof of stake. So if we're to believe he was just being, you know, are we to believe he's just being disingenuous with his points on proof of work, or is he being disingenuous about his his trolling us? Who knows? It, in my mind, it's a zero sum game. You either support proof of work or you support proof of stake. That that that's how I see it personally, because I think the two things are, are kind of you know diametrically opposed. Yeah, I, I just think that to what Terrence is saying, he, he's he's in a fight with a few extreme maximalists on Twitter, and and the dot ETH is to trigger them. I don't think I, I think from everything, if you read everything that Nick has written and everything that he has said, he is not a supporter of proof of stake, and and that dot ETH is not. Is, is he a, is he a net positive for Bitcoin or not? I guess yes. that's, I, I, that's absolutely is. certainly. Yeah. I would I would not be I would not be writing about Bitcoin if it weren't for Nick. So I, yeah, I just, and also. I don't want my points to come across as sort of, you know, I'm not taking shots at the guy. I think what he's done is incredibly sort of admirable. He's clearly a very intelligent guy. And, you know, his research and the way he kind of... All right, let's let's just move on, all right? Because at this point, I feel like it's gossip and exactly. I despise gossip. Just fucking grow up. Onward. Hey, Alex, but let's, let's give Shane a, a second uh, because I think my... Uh, tweet inside of our uh, uh, chat is what stirred this and because I was on the space with Shane and I'd like for Shane to speak to it before we move on because um, <laughs> that's where the real truth lies. All right, cool. Shane, let's hear it. Reiterate uh, I, the experience if you don't I, mind or whatever you wanted to talk about. I'll make it fast and I missed part of what was maybe said this morning because I had to take a quick call. I... um. Two quick things. I think that, and it is what it is, right? I'm not saying I'm going to solve what I'm about to say, but I think some people in the that you know, some people get a pass, some some don't, right? With regards to the community, um, there are a lot of, I think, plebs that that um, once they become Bitcoin only, do actually care tremendously about their <clears throat> their reputation, and uh, probably sometimes feel like they're walking on eggshells, right? Because there is, uh, 
rapid response sometimes to shit coining, if you will, and all the things. So, but I try to approach everything with respect, and I think that's what I did. I I said yesterday when I saw all of this going on, had no clue what started it. Kind of found the backstory of of uh, uh, whoever the guy is was that was it that was at Exelon. His name is escaping me right now. Samson Mao. Um, and my comment to Twitter was, Hey, I've never heard Nick Carter say a single thing, never seen a single video that I didn't walk away with amazement and just a, a lot of signal. You know, that being said, I, I finally said, because I looked at the project that he had invested in from what I could see, it looked like a, a wallet, if you will, there's some identity stuff in there and it obviously supported altcoins. So all I simply said, and I'm way down, I'm sure, on the list. He probably didn't even see my response, which is fine. I said, I just respectfully uh, am a little disappointed in that. But I gave him credit, you know, for his contribution. And then I guess just last night, there seemed to be, with both him and Dan, held a level of arrogance. And again, I think I was very respectful, mentioned that, and uh, that was it. So, I, you know. I am Bitcoin only. It's only been six months for me. I do care about my reputation just as a person, but um, I, I am not the kind of person that's probably what's considered toxic and everybody gets to be who they want to be, right? And I do agree with Mike that generally speaking, probably the community needs to grow up. There needs to be the ability for us to move on, you know, let someone know, hey, this just kind of surprises me and it's their business. It's their bit. They get to do what they want to do. I think that was what I kind of communicated during the day yesterday and somewhat last night. So I'm surprised I even got an opportunity to share. I'm not, I literally didn't, you know, I didn't lose sleep last night <laughs> because of all of that or anything. So I've shared, shared my thoughts and then, you know, went to bed last night and slept. So that's my perspective. Cool. Thanks for sharing. It sounds to me like you held your ground quite well, which I'm proud of. You, you represented the Cafe Bitcoin crew well. Um, I think, you know, let's move on from it. Like I said, you know. I, yeah, I think no, Nick I is a, a net positive, um, and I'm just going to leave it at that. I mean, there's a difference between somebody, between calling somebody out for something shady that they're doing versus um being dramatic and i think there are a lot of actors that are just dramatic and like that doesn't really serve anybody so it's not not super productive so on we go can by I, the can way I just add one thing alex sure i got six names dalio drucker miller alden tudor jones miller foss we don't we don't eviscerate these people because of things that they're doing that are outside of bitcoin well said well said. All right. Alex, uh, Alex, let, Alex, let me share one more thing and then I'm going to get off the subject. But if, okay. you, if you weren't there, you didn't get to hear. Um, after Shane, uh, D++ followed up and handled it like a pro and just began to genuinely ask him questions on his position um, and honestly pretty much backed him into the corner without him being able to to answer fully. Um, and one thing he did say, which is very ironic is that, you know, with respect to ETH is like, you know, he, he obviously doesn't, uh, 
um, he doesn't agree with the money with with the way that he likes the build side of the community. He likes he likes what's being built on ETH and and how how that community has grown, but he doesn't like the monetary policy of ETH. So um, I don't know how he can support something like that. And he tried to make a differentiation between uh, the building aspect of the community and the monetary issuance. And to me, that they go hand in hand. So that's the last thing I'll say. It it sounded like to me that he was, you know, obviously kind of a fiat maxi, right? Like he's like, oh, there's a lot of liquidity on Ethereum. So okay. I'm going to take advantage of that. <laughs> that's all I got from that. Yeah. All right, here, this is what we're going to do. I know I know. Nate wants to say something. I know Chris wants to say something. We have a lot of stuff to cover this morning. We're already 20 minutes into the show. So good morning and welcome. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. This is what we're going to do. Nate, you got 60 seconds. Chris, 60 seconds, then we're going to move on. Go ahead, Nate. I was going to change the subject to Shane's oldness and how toxic that is. You don't need to feel shame, brother. You got plenty going on there. Um uh, I just wanted to bring up that Powell mentioned like maybe five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, that they've been calculating inflation wrong for 40 years. And it, the, the model they were using couldn't go up. Let me, let me say that again. The model they were using couldn't go up. It was designed from the initial prospect of the model to never go up. It meant that we've been lied to for 40 years. Shadowstats.com, 1980s basket of goods. Go back and check it out. They do 1990s as well, so you get a nice little little example uh, comparison there. One thing you will notice with all of the graphs, the further away you get from 1971, the further they uh, diverge. The the 1980s basket will always be higher and they've been wrong since 1980. So he said this like in public he recently? Said this on, on, he said they're live right now. The, the big like Lagarde, Augustus and some other guy and Powell are live right now and they're talking about this. And he said this roughly 10 minutes ago. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine also quoted him saying, oh, I just missed it. Um, we now know how little we understand about inflation. Man, and this I, be, I, and this I do hope somebody is. I do hope somebody is is clipping that recording. I'm sure somebody. The words fantastic. The words were within two minutes of each other. My quote and Bitcoin Magazine's quote, right there. He said this in, in one block of, uh, during a, a single question, and I. I I understand that the metrics have changed over time, but which someone measure inflation. Uh, yeah, I can. I can post it. Well, no, it. someone else. You keep talking. I'll, I'll look for it. Um, I, I understand that that the metrics by which we we measure things have changed because our understandings have changed. But this was engineered from the beginning to not go up, which means we have essentially been lied to. All of the metrics we balance our book sheets on trade goods, services, everything. Cost of living increases, pay increases for the military, cost of living increases for retired people, all of it, right? Yes, sir. How do they track that? How do they make sure that it doesn't go up, though? Like uh, what metrics do they use? There's five different things that they can fiddle with to to change how it works. Like like 
we're not going to spend too much time on this subject, but go go do what Nate just said. Go check out shadowstats.com. That one dude, if I'm not mistaken, he used to help calculate inflation, right? The way they used to do it back in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a great dude. Uh, let me get this down. Cool. Yeah, I'll check it out. Sorry about that. Uh, John Williams. Yeah, that's his yeah. name. Flaws in current economic data and reporting, as well as certain private sector numbers. Yeah, he's uh, and his bio and, and history is on the website itself, uh, shadowstats.com. They have comprehensive data. You can you can sign up and and uh, pay a fee, and you'll get even more if you want if you want to. Support Honestly, them. though, you know, should we really be surprised? Should we really be surprised? I no, mean, I, I think uh, Eric. Oh, what's his been the guy that's been on Joe Rogan pointing out that Princeton's recalculation of inflation literally robbed like one trillion dollars for a small group of people because they could hedge bets against it because they 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 worked it out and they got this into the system. I think um, I think I found that clip of uh, Jerome Powell talking. If you guys want to hear it for a second, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Yeah, all right, all right. Roll it for two seconds. Hold on. transitory in the uh, traditional sense of the term. One way to say it would be we, I think we now understand better how little we understand <laughs> about That's inflation. That's not very reassuring. No, it, you know, it, honestly, this was, this was unpredicted. I, I was looking at our, um, uh, at the time of our June meeting, one year ago, the, of the 35 uh, uh, people who filed with a survey of professional forecasters, 34 of them had inflation below 4% for last year. And of course, it was way above 4%. So really, really everyone had the same model, which was the Phillips curve model, and it just was not capable of producing high inflation. But what it was missing was something that's completely missing in the data for 40 years, which is a, basically a collapse of the supply side. Yeah. You know, the, the, the U.S. economy is famously adaptable. You know, it, does, it has the minimum of structural rigidities, all that kind of thing. And yet here they are. So, you, so what you had was very strong demand, but hitting effectively a vertical supply curve. So ordinarily right, when people want to buy cars. I think we got the meat out of that. <clears throat> wow. Honestly, though, again, should we be surprised? Should we be surprised? The FDA was telling us to eat 11 servings of carbohydrates a day. Not that long ago. <laughs> Tomer. Yeah. Um, so obviously anybody here who actually took, who attended like the first three classes of intro to economics was not surprised, despite the fact that all these PhDs and government bureaucrats was surprised. And it just goes to show how little, how detached, not how little they knew about inflation, but how completely detached they've become from any sound economics theory. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about Austrian economics. Like this is Adam Smith. Economics 101, basic supply and demand. If you destroy the supply chain, the prices are going up, right? To say that he did that we didn't have models to expect this is is absurd. And the fact that they knew what was happening to supply chains through the co through all the COVID restrictions and lockdowns and is and and and, and sanctions and everything else that was imposed. It means that they simply had their eyes closed and their fingers, like the monk and the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Uh, and 
And of course, they ended up driving as though there were no supply chain problems in the road ahead. And then we end up with this inflation. What I want to point people to, and Stefan Levera did a podcast recently with Alex Epstein, who, who's written two books about fossil fuels. Uh, the most recent one that he's doing a tour for is called Fossil Future. And I don't remember the exact terminology, but within this podcast, he talked about how our civilization discovers and disseminates and synthesizes information. And he has a really good model where he talks about the researchers or the scientists, the information that they gather and whether they gather it correctly or not and draw the right conclusions or not. And then then it goes through this phase of the, the experts who make Inter- who interpret it and tell us what to do. And then it gets disseminated, which is through the news media, and then it gets normalized. So I don't remember all these things, but it was a really powerful model for where in where incorrectness, I guess, can get into the, into the system and into our communication. And what we're experiencing, wh- whether it was like, I think the example you just gave, that somehow some science got interpreted by some department of uh, the, by the FDA that said we should eat 11 or 12 servings of carbohydrates a day, which is clearly not good advice and was maybe based on good science or maybe based on bad science or maybe corrupted in some way, or this notion of how we got into this inflationary environment, it it speaks to, I'm going to use a, a fancy word, like there's an epistemological problem. There's a how we know problem in well, it's not just how we know. It's it's that some of these science, so-called scientists and doctors and researchers, um, have moral hazard. They're being funded what, yes. by so part, entities intentionally to create misinformation, disinformation yeah, that at the part, end of the day hurts people. That and that's part that's part of the problem, right? The corruption in the system is that we we get misinformed because incentives exist to misinform. Right. And we don't have checks and balances that protect us from from that. So the wheat growers, I, I, like, I, I don't know who. who was oh, yes, we do. Tomer. They're called Bitcoin maxis. <laughs> OK, so and, and this is what makes that podcast with of Stefan Levera's so particularly interesting, because Alex, who's not from the Bitcoin maximalist uh background and he's someone who's been trying to get everyone to open their eyes to say fossil fuels are actually a wonderful thing they're not a terrible thing the benefits that we've appreciated from fossil fuels have saved countless lives made our lives profoundly improved the the benefits people talk about the costs of what of you know the the downsides of it he says the benefits are like 99 percent of we talk about fossil fuels and climate he says 99 percent of climate deaths have been eliminated since we started using fossil fuels. People used to die of drought, for example. Now there's no drought that kills people because through the power that fossil fuel gives us, we're able to transport water (laughs) through irrigation systems. It's the whole whole energy density is good for humanity thing versus Mm -hmm. the ESG FUD, you're naughty, you're a naughty human because you use too much energy argument. Yeah. It's it's that. So, so I, I just finished. Like, um, so one is, um, I, I recommend people listen to that episode of Stefan Levera's podcast. It's 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 really good on a bunch of dimensions. It'll open your eyes, and you know, it's another rabbit hole to go down this energy density uh, rabbit hole. And 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 the realization: look, if you're pro Bitcoin, you got to be pro energy. You can't just say, oh, Bitcoin only uses clean. Like, Bitcoin's going to use more energy and create more energy abundance, and that's a good thing. 
right? Rather than, and, and, and that's a shame because energy is evil or energy is bad or energy is harmful. So there, there's, there's that piece of it. But I also think this model that he offers for how we think about things is something that lets us deal with this. Like, you know, Jerome Powell has been so slow. Like, there won't be inflation. Okay, there's a little bit of inflation, but it'll stay a little. Oh, it's big, but don't worry. It's only temporary or transitory. Okay, well, it's not transitory. It's big, but hopefully we'll have a soft landing. And then we had the, uh, the guy from the Bank of International Settlements already starting to talk about hard landings the other day. It's like these guys are thoroughly wrong consistently about everything that they say. And now we've got Jerome Powell saying, I guess we didn't know how much we didn't know. Well, some of us do know and we, we can't trust you anymore and it's not about finding somebody else to put in your seat who we think we can trust it's like your whole system is shit right? like I, <laughs> it's an absolute clown tell me how you really feel Tomer. It, it, it's, it's that way I'm you sure. know i grew up i grew up in the ghettos of miami and so uh i've never trusted bureaucrats <laughs> or you know <laughs> these folks Sorry, but just just watching tomer exhaust his, his capacity for language and just call it shit it's great it's, right it's, i i was not out of words i had lots of words i chose that one because I was <laughs> in the entire english language Sorry, I, I just right. want to say it's an absolute clown show because the quote, I've just read it back. We understand better how little we understand inflation, right? H how can they not understand that printing trillions whilst locking down and disrupting supply chains wouldn't cause this absolute That's, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. But well, that's how that's our understanding of it. Yeah. They, it, it, anyway, I mean, they let's move on from that. We could, we, could, we, could get, we could get bogged down in that forever. Um, I don't know who's next. Let's hit those these next two hands, and then there's a lot of news items I'd like to cover. <laughs> so my my comment's really quick. I just wanted to add to what Tomer was saying because it's not about it's not about energy usage. It's about what we think is okay for that energy usage. So, for instance, gold mining um, to pull a worthless shiny object out of the earth is an incredibly energy intensive kind of of activity but for whatever reason we deem that as being okay militaries use incredible amounts of energy but that's okay and so it's it's more about what's okay and what's not okay as in like you know the social kind of standing so and you know it's just that that's what they do they just pick a target and they go after it d yeah, no, I, just a quick thought. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, what, what they're saying is not really what they also think, right? I mean, it's just optics. And uh, if, if we lose faith or, you know, if the, if the plebs or the simpletons lose faith in the dollar, then uh, they go down. So I, I just think it's just all optics. And uh, they, they clearly know what they're doing and they're they're in control. And that that's very unfortunate. It's just um, definitely impossible to take their word, uh, you know, their face by, by the word. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So my last comment on the energy thing. <clears throat> so Biden entered office with the promise of basically dumping on oil and gas in order to save the planet because climate crisis um, cuts off a big pipeline, shuts down all drilling, um, gets very virtue signaling. And uh, next thing you know, energy Prices start skyrocketing. 
he finds out that Saudi Arabia's capacity is capped at another 150,000 barrels a day, maybe, that they're not going to turn on the spigots for the West. Um, and then after that, just today, there was an article in Reuters where um, they're going to allow oil leases again. Let's yeah, I saw that too. Around. Yeah. It, it's just ridiculous. Gigantic clown shell. Okay, moving on. I don't want to talk about that anymore. Um, <clears throat> Compass Mining today announced that the board of directors has accepted the resignation of the chief executive officer, Whit Gibbs, and the chief finance officer, Jody Fisher. What's going on with Compass, guys? Yeah, and I also so heard, when that, the, I don't know for sure, but I heard that this, the CFO that left had only been there since February. So I don't know if that's true. That's a really bad sign when the CEO and CFO leave at the same time. Usually the CFO is the one that's responsible for the books, right? And making sure all the dollars and cents are calculated correctly and talking to auditors and accountants and so forth. When, when they prepare their tax forms. So it's not good. It can't be good. Realistically, this is a pretty bad sign that their finances are not in good shape. And maybe they did some things that um, the board didn't like. It sounds like they were pushed out. But Dennis Port told me it was a sure fine investment. Well, either they were pushed out or, you know, they were just like, there's no way to save this thing. It's going down. That's possible. Yeah. yeah. Allegedly, there was someone who had worked at Compass who was on Spaces briefly talking about how they basically were pushed. Yeah, yeah I, I wish they. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, D. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be quick, real quick. Uh, I know to Terrence's point, I want to highlight. I know normally when companies restructure and stuff, if the CEO steps down but the CFO stays in place, you know, it's like oh, they're just looking for new new person to run the company in operations, but it's kind of a very bad look when they both step down and, you know, vice versa could be said if the CEO is staying and they're just getting a new CFO for whatever reason, that's just change of personnel, but it's normally not a good sign when they both back out of a company at the same time. And I would agree. It looks like they were pushed out as well. Yeah. My only comment was I, I wish that the company may have said, you know, we not, maybe not accepted the res resignation or maybe just said, you know, we, we wanted to, to, to resign, maybe come from a place of power rather than just saying, yeah, they resigned. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I wish the company kind of uh, had a more stronger approach on it just uh, to, to have more clients kind of feel, feel comfortable. I mean, I personally am a client with them, so hopefully my minor stays on. But, uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens in the near future. Hey, Noodle, one thing I wanted to comment on real quick on your comment. Um, you know, I think Corey yesterday put out a tweet that, that says it, really well. I think, you know, influencers, whoever, you know, that have sponsors, there's only so much information you can gather, you know, uh, the closer you can get to your sponsors, obviously the better. But I think Corey said it well saying that influencers, when they find out that a company's really not all that well, and we talked to Ben, you know, Ben, as you know, yesterday or the day before a little bit about that, that's, that's when, you know, you, you make it right and you try to be a part of the solution. So I mean, you know, we we can only, um, yeah, I, I guess be dis we can only be disgruntled so much at influencers that had blocked fi and all the. It's it's more like how do they how do they deal with it after it's obvious that these companies are, you know, problematic. That's that's what I care about more. No, you you got a fair point, Shane. I, I, I'd say that I was being a bit coy with that, but it, it it's 
yeah, the, the, the whole thing stinks. From what I understand, that there have been problems with Compass for a long time, and all the while they were taking new, you know, taking new cl- um, customers on, taking new deposits, and and it just stinks a bit. The whole thing. All right. I, I have a slightly different, just real quick, I have a different take. On first principles, right, anytime you're converting the world's best asset, digital bear asset, which we've never seen before, right, extremely hard to censor and confiscate, very portable, incredibly finite. Um, and you're converting that to some an IOU, that is quite stupid. And for uh, the sponsors to get away with these uh, podcasters not doing basic um, thinking and due diligence and just, I understand they have a, a business model that relies on advertising, but it's just tough. Either go for a subscription only, figure out a way to add real value so subscribers actually pay, listeners pay, or, you know, you maybe make less money in the short term to protect your reputation long term. This is very foreseeable in my opinion. It's all centralized crap. Everything that's not Bitcoin including leverage is centralized crap and it's just by bitcoin right terrence just by bitcoin yeah (laughs) self-custody zoom out right study it and hold it for 10 years plus preferably much longer but all this macro talk all this stuff about this is a good leverage a company that does lending or leverage or interest bearing and this is a bad company that's just like bs because in the end they all default pretty much well the issue is they're they all default because they're all centralized and levered. I would say the key difference between buying Bitcoin and owning the asset directly versus anything else really is the management risk, right? And and that's something that you have to consider in any investment. But in particular with Bitcoin, when you reintroduce management risk, you're you're basically introducing the very thing that Bitcoin solves for. <laughs> the biggest issue one of the biggest issues that bitcoin solves for is the wickedness of man human beings getting into it and screwing it up through either incompetence or malfeasance or intention you know just bad bad intentions or whatever but that's what happens so why do that i don't know it's ridiculous well said alex all right on we go so Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX, apparently, according to CryptoGlobe.com, said there are some third-tier exchanges that are already secretly insolvent. Anybody have any thoughts on this or any inside scoops or knowledge or comments? Yeah, I read that yesterday as well, and I'm like, if anyone has some insights into it, he probably does. You don't have to be a... Sam Bankman-Fried fan to know that he's, uh, you know, deep into the bowels of all that. So I don't know necessarily who he might be hinting about, but, and I don't know if Voyager is uh, quote unquote third tier, but I know they're in a lot of trouble. What yeah. a nice metaphor, Shane, deep into the bowels of all that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just, I'm a simple man. <laughs> yeah. In the That's words the- of the great Nate Diaz, I'm not surprised. Yeah, you know, that's one of the reasons I uh, I when I first met Shane Trammell, I kind of liked him right off the bat because he just seems like a dude that just shoots straight, you know. And I like guys like that. So I, I didn't know how he was going to evolve over time. He's turned into quite an asset, I believe. Um, 
but it was just, you know, just one of those things. It was a gut feeling. I was like, oh, this, this is a good dude. He's not like, you know, when he first started out, Shane, I'm just going to talk about you for a minute. I hope you don't mind right in front of you. When he first started out, he wasn't all that polished, you know, some of the things he was saying was kind of like, hey, buddy, you know, but over time, I've watched him grow, and the dude is just an amazing asset. I love having him on the crew. You're such a good judge of character, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Not always. I've made my mistakes. You know, there are some people who, I, I, you know, I've made my mistakes. We all climb Mount Stupid. All right, let's move on. Uh, one last thing about the Sam Bankman. Sam Bankman Freed comment, FTX is pretty flush, right? And typically when 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 the tide goes out, that saying, you know, or you see who's swimming naked, whoever's swimming naked will usually go to the guys that uh have money <laughs> to get bailed out, right? And that's how he would have sort of a an inside look on on who's uh swimming naked. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, no, I was going to exactly say that point. I think Sam Bankman-Fried saying that because he's looking to buy more stuff. I mean, uh, I, don't, I haven't looked into FTX that much, but when they're given $250 million loan to BlockFi and they were trying to buy Robinhood, like, I just think this is in his playbook of like, yeah, we're strapped with cash and we're looking to buy customers in the form of acquisition of smaller exchanges or maybe even larger exchanges, depending on how upside down or how messed up their balance sheets are. So I just, I think he's taking the, uh, I don't want to call him like the new wave Warren Buffett thing, but basically he's got a bunch of cash and he's looking to deploy it to buy businesses really cheap and basically acquire their customers. Yeah. I think they also, and on super favorable terms. Go ahead, Shane. I was just going to say, I think they also have a, a, a vested interest in keeping some of these companies propped up, you know, um, if if enough of these companies die, then that also uh, looks negatively, um, you know, on their business model as well. Yeah, without a doubt, they're pl- trying to play 4D chess. And to Shane's point, like if a bunch of these start going under, that definitely affects their bottom line at the end of the day as well, as well as their top line, to be honest. So, I don't know, man. My 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 feeling is. I heard, I forget where I first heard it, but somebody was just like, let it all burn to the ground. Oh, I know where I heard it. One of my buddies is uh, is what I consider an OG Bitcoiner. He was buying Bitcoin back in 2012. Extremely wealthy dude, constantly running around orange pilling people because he's incredibly wealthy now. He lives in these areas that are full of really wealthy people. And they don't understand how he got so wealthy. And then when they ask him, of course, he unloads with both barrels. You should be buying Bitcoin, right? But anyway, yeah, he was one of the first people I think I heard that from. You know, he just texted me one day. He's like, just let it all burn to the ground and Bitcoin will rise from the ashes like the phoenix and all this other stuff will be shown to be what it is. And I thought that was great. So I'm all down with that. Okay. Next item. Teachers Retirement System of Texas, the United States' fifth largest public pension fund, began leveraging its investment portfolio in 2019. Who would have guessed that they'd do something like that? Next month, the largest U.S. public worker fund, the roughly $440 billion California Public Employees retirement system known as CalPERS or add leverage for the first time in its 90 year history. 
if it can be leveraged, it will be leveraged on a long enough time frame. The all these things are centralized, and they're going to do what they're allowed to do, which is what they can do practically, not necessarily legally. So if they have if they have the assets, they and there's lenders or whatever ways to leverage, they're going to do it at some point. For those who are not familiar with Worth, who we have up here, he is a professional money manager, has been for decades, um, has run really huge money over time, and uh, like to get your input on this. What's going on here? Why are these guys doing this, and, and what does it mean, and what does it mean long-term for Bitcoin? Uh, it just means that they can't, you know, it means they've got a funding problem, um, and they're having to utilize leverage to increase returns um, at or above their target. I mean, the CalPERS news came out months and months and months ago, and I think we talked about it on this program, but, um, you know, they'd actually lowered uh, their target return um, because they weren't, you know, they couldn't meet it. Um, And so they wanted to leverage a portion of the portfolio in order to, try to meet the the new target. And I think you're going to continue to see more and more of that going forward. So uh, did you say it was you? Timco was the last one that uh, announced that. Teachers retirement system of Texas. Apparently they've been doing it since 2019 and, and yeah. it's just becoming known now. I don't know why it's a news item. Yeah. Well, I think it's, <laughs> I think you're going to see more and more of it. Um, so, uh, again, a lot of these pensions have a funding problem. So, and the 60-40, which we've talked about before, when we talked about the subject before, is absolutely broke. Um, so, that's <laughs> – and let's not forget, too, um, not so much of the pensions, but the endowments and the foundations are just up to their eyeballs in VC and PE, and they're marking them flat. And it's ex- it's we, exciting to me because we, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's it, it all it's all math at the end of the day, and um, they've got a spin rate they have to hit. Um, and when you look at the pie, um, which is their portfolio, they're going to start pulling pieces out and putting new pieces in, and in order to meet returns. Long term, I fully believe that they're going to adopt Bitcoin, and I, I, I just why I Ex- explain yourself. People need to understand this shit. You and I have had lots of private conversations about this stuff. I want people to hear why you think this. Well, uh, first off, it's game theory, right? Um, if you add it, and you're generating, uh, I mean, look, we all know we're in a bear market right now, but this isn't going to last forever. Um, and I'm convinced that there's no return out there over the next 10 years that will match the Bitcoin return. I don't, I don't care what you're investing in. I don't care how much you're dialing it. I don't think, I don't think it's possible. So I think it's like game theory. I think if you're, um, if you're not invested in this, um, you're going to be asked a lot of questions uh, after it makes a substantial move that holds. Um, there it goes. That's what I was looking for. Nails it. So in other words, I'm going to paraphrase here. Sure. 
the performance of Bitcoin in U.S. dollar terms is going to smoke the fuck out of what these guys are doing in their traditional 60-40 portfolios. And if they don't adjust, they have to answer to all the people who are going to be asking them really pointy stick questions. Absolutely. And, and uh, again, it's, it, it gets down to, look, and when you've, when you've invested on behalf of these type of investors uh, for a long time, you, 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 you get to know them uh, extremely well in their tendencies and they all move in a herd. Um, and, you know, there's safety in numbers. And if they start moving into this asset in significant measure, um, <laughs> I mean, uh, the rallies will just rip your face off. Rip your face off. Chris, what are you thinking? Yeah, I got a question for Worth, actually. So uh, I agree. I think that that's, uh, it makes the most sense that pensions are going to move or allocate some of their fund, whether it's a small percentage or half a percentage, into Bitcoin to try and chase returns. But I guess, uh, like, perfect example, I know the blue-collar Bitcoin guys, uh, Dan and Josh, uh, they're in their early 30s. They're firefighters out of the Illinois area. And uh, I know that Illinois just consolidated their pe- their um, pension funds. Um, and they were kind of mentioning that, you know, there used to be 35 separate conglomerates in Illinois, and they were one of the 35. Theirs was more of a lax one that they were able to have, like, uh, 60% stocks, 35% uh, bonds, and then 5% like real estate. And they were really pushing to like they, uh, Dan was on the, or Josh, my apologies, was on the board, basically opting to get 1% into Bitcoin. And, you know, Dan and Josh are in their early 30s. Like, who are these crazy young kids? You know, a lot of the guys on the board are in their late 50s and up. And they're like, yo, you guys are just, it's a Ponzi scheme. And they were trying to really explain to them and pitch to have them put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And uh, they said it was like trying to change the ship of a gigantic cruise liner. It doesn't turn around very quickly. So at what point does, I guess my question to you, Worth, is I know there's a lot of mandates and restrictions and, you know, what you can do for pension funds. You being a money manager, how how quickly do you think they could, like a government pension fund could put into Bitcoin? I I know on a practical point, like, oh, we're just going to put it in tomorrow. But like it has to go through boards. It has to go through approvals. You know, it has to I'm assuming it has to go through all these ludicrous restrictions, like how quickly from like if they decide to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet, could they do it in six months? Does it take a year? Does it take 18 months? Do you have any idea? Sorry for the response. Yeah, I think think that's a great question. And um, and I think your analogy of, you know, turning a ship in a creek, that's uh, or however you put it, that's 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 very true. But I think one of the things that the. Let me, let me let me make this point first. I think one of the things that this bear market is doing, um, it's allowing due diligence to catch up. It is super hard, uh, you know, in a just a vertical price move to, you know, you feel like you're behind the eight ball always in doing your due diligence. And one. Just a second. No worries, Peter. Do you have a comment while he's okay? Am I still with you? Yep, you're still here. Am I still with you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, sorry, a call came in. Um, I, I think the bear market is giving giving these type of investors uh, um, time to do you know real due diligence. One of the things that I do believe needs to transpire is we need some regulatory framework 
that will allow um, the largest of these, um, not the largest, but the majority of, let's take the foundations, endowments, and pensions are advised by the super large consultants. And and so it really requires this consultants getting on board, um, making the recommendation. And, and the reality is the reason that these investors use consultants is they add a layer of fiduciary responsibility to to the operation. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's a lot of work is being done now from what I hear. Um, but I think they they want some clarity on the regulatory framework. Um, you know, when you're managing ERISA money or whatever, that's that's really important. So I, I hope that answers your question. But that's my perspective. Yeah, thanks, Worth. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I just Peter. had a quick. I just had a quick mechanical question as far as um, these kinds of of institutional. Um, these kinds of institutions and their and their their institutional investing. If somebody was, if one of these institutions was to put five percent, say, okay, we're going to do a five percent allocation to Bitcoin, and as Bitcoin goes as Bitcoin goes up, obviously they're going to be readjusting that allocation um, to maintain that five percent, or maybe not. Obviously, my question is: is in markets like this, as that allocation becomes less do they add more is that how is that kind of how that works because it makes sense because then you would be continually selling high and buying low in terms of tradfi yeah um specifically as it as it relates to um you know the allocation process let's say you have a five percent target um most of the allocations that you'll get as a, as a fund is you you might get to anywhere from 1% all the way up to 5% of the allocator's capital uh, for your, for your uh, spot in their portfolio. Um, and if they have a, you know, if they have a asset class they want to be in, then obviously they have a target exposure they want for that asset class. That doesn't happen in one fail swoop. Um, so let's say that, let's say that one of these allocators, um, and, and just for those who are unaware, when, when you use the term allocator, it's references someone who invests in, on behalf of, you know, let's just call the allocator a pension fund endowment and foundation, a family office. Um, when they, when they allocate and they'll say they have a 5% target, you know, historically, uh, they leg into these investments. Um, so, you know, I mean, I know when, when we'll get an allocation in our fund, typically it's, you know, we have gotten, you know, all the capital at once, but typically it comes in different tranches over different periods of time to meet, you know, really they try to smooth the ball out, I think, by doing that um, and not just trying to time things. So, um, yeah. I mean, that's, will they trim? Certainly they'll trim if they get over their, over their, you know, defined allotment for that asset. So uh, they'll trim a manager if the manager gets outsized in the portfolio. But I think when you're in the adoption of a new asset class, um, and I think this is something that most people get wrong, um, they're not going to just 
fire in 2% or 5% and then start trimming it. I mean, they're going to work their way into gradually expanding that asset as a portion of their portfolio. And things that work typically garner more dollars, right? So I, I just don't have the expectation of the trim piece being, you know, a, a worrisome for the price of Bitcoin long term. Hope that's helpful. All right, cool. I feel like we've hit that topic pretty good. Um, let's move on. Some of these other things that are going on. The Virgin Islands court has ordered the liquidation of crypto hedge fund three hours cap three hours capital. Source who is familiar with the subject has revealed that a court order to liquidate three hours was issued on June 27th in the British Virgin Islands. So it looks like that's happening. It's just more, more grist for the great Bitcoin bear of 2022. They were holding a space the other night. I mean, it's like super brave of them, I guess. I mean, they were up there talking. I mean, I didn't hang around very long. I popped in and out for a second, but I couldn't believe I saw, that they were up there doing that, given what they're facing. And was it actually them? Because I, I was in a space yesterday. It was like a meme account. It had like 2,000 people in it. And the it was just ridiculous. Um, yeah, it wasn't really enough, them. Maybe it wasn't them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone was just hopping in, asking them funny questions. It's like uh, like those compass mining uh, meme accounts, stuff like that. But uh, yeah. I mean, I can see how some of that kind of stuff would be funny. It's like Saturday Night Live stuff, right? But if you don't, if you don't know the background, if you don't know what's going on, and you're new to the space, I can see how that would be really confusing. Yeah, they were basically just saying, "Yeah, we dump on retail. Uh, we're inside traders. Uh, we uh, make a lot of money in forex." <laughs> so, yeah, it, it it was a joke, but yeah, no, it, it agreed. You know, it, sometimes it's hard for people to actually know. Uh, if, if it's the real three arrows or not. So that's just uh, a word of caution. All right. A little bit later today, uh, we're at the so top real, of the hour. Real quick. Real quick um, there's also, speaking of fake accounts, there are fake accounts for our friends Anders. The fake account is at A-N-D-U-R-S underscore instead of E-R-S underscore. So please report and block. And the same for PubLord, but I don't know that um, accounts um, fake account. And, and the reason I mention them, we all have fake accounts at, at some point if, if you're on Twitter long enough. But with PubLord and Anders, they actually come onto spaces, these fake accounts, pretend they're puppy and they're kind of trolly and kind of funny but i think it's dangerous because they start to get followers and who knows what their intentions are it's just not good i don't think either puppy or anders like it like these fake accounts yeah they're, they're true like trolls it. they're true trolls right but, like, yeah they're uh, trolls these guys faces which is pretty unusual and they talk like like they go on stage and talk yeah it's pretty bad <clears throat> Anyway, let's hit some promos um, in a little while. We've got Bull Bitcoin as the featured guest for today's show. We'll be going to them in about 20-ish minutes, um, 2025. Uh, but you have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning. Welcome. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're getting some good things out of it. This is a great place for your morning news on Bitcoin. It's a hangout for some of the smartest people in Bitcoin to just drop in, talk about what's going on. 
Um, <clears throat> we do it live every day, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for two hours on Twitter Spaces. Uh, if you can't catch the live show, it is also a podcast. It's up on Spotify, Apple, everywhere that you get your podcasts. You can throw myself a follow or Swan Bitcoin to be notified of when those drop. Uh, I work for Swan Bitcoin. My name is Alex Danzig. I'm your host. Um, Swan does some really cool stuff. One of those things is if you want to give gifts to people in Bitcoin, you can do that with swanbitcoin.com slash gift. Uh, is it gifts or gift? Tomer, Terrence. I want to make sure I got that right. Anyway, one of those two will work. Uh, we also have the Bitcoin benefit plan, thanks to Terrence and a lot of the other people at Swan that have worked really hard to put that thing together. Basically, what it is, is if you are an employer, you want to give Bitcoin to your employees, um, either, either as a retention tool um, or as uh, just a bonus, you can do that with Swan. Um, it's basically you figure out, you get all your employees who who want to be part of the program. We get them signed up with accounts. Uh, it's a once a month deduction money transfer, and then we buy Bitcoin, we deposit it in those employers' accounts. Also, it comes with custom-tailored education. The objective here is to help you Bitcoin, uh, help you orange pill your employees. So if you're a Bitcoiner who owns a company or a business and you want to do that, we're your ally there. Let us help you. Um, what else? Oh, if you're way backwards right now on your current cost basis or your current U.S. dollar position in Bitcoin, maybe consider doing some tax loss harvesting. Uh, basically, you can claim a loss, a capital loss. You basically sell and rebuy immediately uh, the Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin is doing this for our Swan Private uh, customers. If you're interested in that, you can shoot me a DM or Terrence. We're happy to help you out with that. Swan it's has with an a, S. Sorry, Alex. It's with, it's an, with an S. S. Yes. Gifts yeah. with an S. Thank you very much. Yes. Gifts Technically, they both work with, without the S redirects as well. Yes. Yeah. You won't have okay. a hard time. Very good. Uh, we also have an app now, um, the Swan app. So go to swanbitcoin.com slash app. We are also doing IRAs. So if you want to transfer or roll over an existing IRA, you can do that with Swan. Um, basically, you convert the assets into Bitcoin. We're happy to help you with that as well. DM myself or Terrence, happy to hook you up. Finally, if you would like to put Bitcoin on a business balance sheet, we specialize in that as well. We will basically hold your hand through the whole process, work directly with you. You'll talk to a human being. You won't sit in a queue. You won't have to deal with emails if you don't want to. We're all about that. And then finally, Swan Private. If you want to take a large position in Bitcoin, Swan Private is designed to give you kind of a, a hand-holdy experience where you have access to our deep, bench of, our deep bench of experts on any topic you're interested in, allocations, entry strategies, custody, self-custody, multi-sig, inheritance planning, all that stuff. Shoot me your turn. It's a DM. Moving on. The last newsy item that I kind of wanted to bring up here was that the Central African Republic's president attended that shindig down in El Salvador where 44 nations had uh, either representatives of their central bank or their monetary authority uh, go down to El Salvador to witness firsthand how Bitcoin works. They were installing wallets on their phones. They were being sent Bitcoin. They did a little walk around uh, El Salvador's uh, Bitcoin beach where they then learned how to buy stuff directly. I'm sure it was incredibly mind-blowing for a lot of those people. Um, the Central African Republic's president went back, and uh, I, I think Galois Money did some stuff with them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
but he's very much um, getting on the Bitcoin train. But then, <laughs> oh, I just saw this today. So apparently, uh, Central African Republic's president has announced a crypto hub. Sango is about to launch. When launched, the crypto hub is expected to drive tokenization of Central African Republic mineral resources and pave way for economic growth. Oh, man. Shaking my head. Shoot me. Oh. Everybody's got to climb Mount Stupid, right? He goes, with Bitcoin as legal tender and inspiration, our country opens a new chapter in its inspiring journey towards a brighter future via blockchain tech. Ah, oh, I just want to throw up. The shitcoiners yeah. got to this guy. Everyone is welcome to witness the Sango Genesis event. Investors will be able to finance mining projects and invest in the country's resources. Mining companies can issue digital tokens backed by assets such as gold or other materials. Oh my God, they're going to become a gigantic shitcoin factory. That's it was better thought crypto was a scam because then they wouldn't touch anything. Yeah. Yeah, I like I, Bitcoin. I, buy my shit coin. I want to control what you yeah. buy from me. So I'm going to be greedy. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. And, and the affinity scam goes both ways. Like, Bitcoin's great. I have this other thing that's even better. When it goes to shit, oh, Bitcoin's shit now. It's like that door swings both ways, and every time it happens, it just hurts the credibility uh, in the eyes of these people. So I, I would honestly rather them just stay in their fiat that gets debased at a steady rate than simply get completely robbed. Yeah, it's one of those things where they come in and they see how it works, and then their eyes get big, and then they get ideas, and they're like, oh, we can do this better, and they have to create their own thing because – yeah. Ah. Or it, I mean, we're going to see skilled scammers who have been working within the bull market here in in you know the first world where a lot of the money's been, and just going over there and creating like general, like widespread bullshit. Yeah. After this thing bottoms out, right? After we see the true bottom in Bitcoin and the the thing starts to head back up, that's probably going to be the case, right? You'll have all these shit counters over in some of these new countries like doing it on a national level now. It's just going to get bigger. For the next ramp up, it'll just get bigger. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm pretty sure Jaime informed us that, that like that's what's going on in El Salvador for the most part. It's like shitcoiners trying to take advantage of people now that uh, Bitcoin's created an opening. Well, we saw a you know, Alex, I can't a few months ago, right? So not surprised. I was just going to say I can't go. wait. No, it's fine. I was just going to say I can't wait. You know, I'm... I'm new to all this, relatively speaking. I can't wait to uh, live through this and, you know, an all-time high and, you know, be in that point where it's never going to go below a certain amount again. You know, you hear those stories, right, where people got in at 3,000 or whatever they did, and so I'm looking forward to that day. But until then, I'm happy to accumulate. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I do want to mention really quickly that lately we've been getting tons of DMs, tons of emails, tons of people put shouting out on in public on Twitter, just thanking really all of you. You know, they come in here, they listen to this discussion, and then they realize, oh my God, I got to get my 
I got to get my Bitcoin and my my off of these exchanges, off of these platforms, out of these loans. Um, and a lot we we have so many people who have said, "Hey, thank you for talking about what you guys talk about," because you helped me realize that this stuff was potentially dangerous. And they took appropriate action, and they saved their stacks. So, um, yeah, just thank you to all you guys who come up here on the regular, um, hang out and, and, you know, do this show, add to the discussion, share your insights and just help people realize, man, get safe, get your, get your Bitcoin off of exchanges, get your Bitcoin off of platforms, off of all these potentially really shady things. Yeah. And as far as El Salvador and, and, you know, the shit coineries or whatever. I mean, we saw that as soon as Bukele got orange pilled, you know, you had that EOS guy down there taking pictures and trying to talk to all those guys. I mean, they're going to try to see these openings and go over there. It's sad about the Africa thing, just because, you know, I agree with you guys that, you know, what, what, what doesn't work here, they're just going to go run it over there. It's, it's going to be wide open. All right, I want to shout out to uh, Bull Bitcoin out in the audience, our featured guest for the day. You're welcome to come up anytime you like, throwing you an invite. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us. All right, Nesky, good morning. Uh, Bull Bitcoin, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Who's on the Bull Bitcoin handle this morning? Hey, Alex. Uh, this is KST, but you want to talk to Nate. You're definitely talking to Nate. It's not going to be me. <laughs> I'm just I'm just running the account, man. Figured cool. I'll let you do that. I'll let you know that so that you get the, the correct person to talk to you. I don't know. Kevin is a pretty good representative of Bull Bitcoin, I got to say, so... Nice to have him up here too. Hello, everyone. Cheers, bro. Speaking Do we have made up? Uh, my uh, my my panel is updating slowly, so I can't. I don't think I have an accurate representation of who's actually on the panel right now. Oh, there you go. There's Nate. Good morning, brother. Good morning, Alex. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. We've had a pretty ripping discussion so far this morning about all the goings on in the uh the great bitcoin bear market of 2022 pretty fascinating stuff yeah it's a fantastic one isn't it it's about time i was getting worried that this bull market was not going to stop speaking of uh, getting your coins off exchanges you know what's an exchange you uh you don't have to worry about that with <laughs> <laughs> tell us t- tell us Wow. So for uh for anybody out there who doesn't know Bull Bitcoin, we're a Canadian only exchange uh as of yet so far. Been around since 2015. Uh the, the company's got a pretty interesting history. You know, Francis uh founded the company back in the day. Uh I think he started with a little company called Bitcoin Outlet that was selling bitcoins over the counter in uh the very first Bitcoin embassy 
in North America. We had a little shop in Montreal called the Bitcoin Embassy. It was a brick and mortar store. You could walk in, chat with the guys, talk about Bitcoin, uh, buy Bitcoin over the counter. Um, they had a Bitcoin ATM. I think it was the first Bitcoin ATM in North America. Uh, eventually, the company morphed into an online OTC called Bitcoin Outlet. Our CTO, Arthur, who I th think is in the crowd, shout out to Arthur. He was uh, the first sort of serious developer to partner with Francis to build this platform. There were a bunch of partnerships that came and went in Canada. Um, eventually, it became a full-blown uh application that allows you to buy and sell Bitcoin. But what's really interesting about bull Bitcoin is that the sell side is primarily a tool to use Bitcoin, right? Bull Bitcoin doesn't really position itself as a, as a trading platform. Um, one of the interesting things about bull Bitcoin that I really appreciated. So, I just want to talk about bills a little bit before we uh, move on to anything else. Bills is quite unique, right? It's, it's the sell side of bull Bitcoin. It allows you to use your Bitcoin to do, for example, pay off your credit card. So you can sign up with a minimal KYC account and you can make payments up to a thousand dollars in one shot up to $10,000 a day directly to a credit card. Um, it's one of the most underappreciated aspects of bull Bitcoin is this whole uh, bills portion. On the buy side, we have DCAs. You can buy direct to uh, Lightning. And to, uh, to bring it back around to what I was saying earlier, we never hold customer Bitcoins. Right? We are non-custodial. Um, so obviously that's a, that's a bit of a friction point for newcomers. Uh, it's definitely also something that's difficult to build a business around. Um, but that's one of the, uh, it's one of the hardcore aspects of bull Bitcoin that I really appreciate is that we, we will never hold customer funds. We are anti-custodial and uh, we make it work. Can I ask you a right question on. about that real quick? Nate, uh, yeah, so the non-custodial part, so does someone have to provide an address like prior to buying and it goes straight to that address? Uh, that is correct. Is that okay. Can you, use an ex, can you use an XPUB for that? I'm just curious. Um, no, you cannot use an XPUB. Um, not yet. We have, we have a product roadmap that's going to, to make this. I'm losing Nate around and work within because. Oh, shoot. My Wi-Fi might be a little spotty here. I'm sorry about that, guys. Not much I can do. Oh, about you're it. back. You're back. Okay. So having made that choice to be non-custodial, we have to work around that. And our product roadmap without giving too much away is going to make that easier. It's going to allow you to sort of use an XPUB without revealing that XPUB. If that plants any seeds. Yeah, I love it. Although I'm not mm -hmm. Canadian, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Don't worry, Nate. I'm Canadian, so I'll be looking into this for sure. Oh, fantastic. Oh, hey, D. How you doing? What's going on? I didn't realize I, was follow- I wasn't following you, so I just gave it back. <laughs> yeah, you started at Coin Cheers. Kite uh, this year. Is that, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we love CoinKite. I mean, we're like brothers in arms up here. We use, um, you know, we shield a cold card all the time. So a uh, little bit about me. I started a company with a few guys called Verify. We used to sell non-custodial uh, consulting packages. So we would help high net worth individuals figure out how to run multi-sig, run their own nodes, hold their own keys, etc. That's how we got in touch with Bull Bitcoin because we used to shill them. Eventually, uh, Francis Acqui hired us, and um, we then launched into creating BitcoinSupport.com, which kind of was an extension of what we were doing at Verify. So today, Bull Bitcoin supports BitcoinSupport.com. That was a weird sentence. And uh, BitcoinSupport.com is a place you can go to uh, learn about self-custody, learn how to hold your own keys. Um, We created guides that are according to us, some of the easiest and best ways of holding your own keys. It's a never, a constantly evolving project. Um, And if you really desire, you can buy uh, a consulting package so we can hold your hand and help you do it. Um, You can also buy this for your friends and family. Um, You basically buy a redeem code that they can go online and redeem and uh, learn how to do self-custody with us. And um, yeah, so that, that was kind of how I got into Bull Bitcoin. That project is, uh, it was very timely with everything that happened in Canada this year. Lost you again. Oh. You're back. Yeah, last thing I heard was, uh it was timely with what happened in Canada earlier. Yes. Yes. Um, that's about where I left it. I love those uh, guides, cool. by the way. I love those is that, guides. Uh, is it a good time for questions or uh, later? Please go for it. He was asking oh. me, but yeah, it's a good time. Rock and roll. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, so just, um, couple of questions let's say that um yeah good to hear non-custodial sort of nature of your service um, let's say your service is down uh, what happens then and um let's say that uh um you know customer loses their keys so what happens then the two scenarios thanks oh great questions all right i'll take the first one what happens if we go down so there are multiple aspects to our technical stack, right? So we have sort of that, that front end application that you interface with. And then we also have a, a Bitcoin backend um, that runs primarily with a project called CypherNode. Um, CypherNode is this open source uh, Bitcoin backend that we maintain and we use for our business. So say the front end goes down, well, that's really no big deal. It'll be down for a couple hours tops. It happens relatively frequently. Sometimes we're maintaining the platform or updating something. Uh, If the backend goes down, um, the worst thing that can happen is that your uh, transactions are gonna be delayed. So if if you were scheduled to have Bitcoins delivered to you, I should back up a second here. 
We've done a lot of innovation on the uh, transaction batching side in order to lower the cost of payments. So during the 2017 bubble, we saw fees skyrocket. And after that, we um, embarked on a journey to solve that problem. And uh, the genius behind uh, CypherNode essentially came up with a batching system that allows us to batch customer transactions every couple hours. So when you buy on bull Bitcoin, you lock in a price, but then the Bitcoins are delivered in a you know, couple hours later, unless you choose a express transaction, in which case uh, you eat the fees. And, and in the case of the batching, we eat the fees. So I'm curious, and it may be proprietary what I'm about to ask, and I don't fully understand it all anyway, but how do you get your liquidity, you know, as far as the Bitcoin that you, that people are able to buy, if you will, from you? Yeah, no, no, that's not proprietary. There's a, a large international uh, liquidity provider called Aqua Now. Uh, that is who we partner with. So um, that, that is really the only third party, the only major third party that we really use is our large uh, Bitcoin liquidity provider. Um, of course, as a non-custodial exchange, we don't use the Coinbase or anybody like that, right? So, are your uh, withdrawals uh, are your withdrawals free? Uh, what's your withdrawal structure like? So, I think withdrawals is the wrong word because we never hold funds. So, well, right, you, yeah, yeah, you, you get them delivered directly to you. So, we hold coins uh, on our back end. Uh, at all times, we have some sort of a float call it that. And, um, you know, we communicate with Aqua now when that float gets a little thin. So if more people are buying than selling, then we simply go to our liquidity provider and top up. We have a great relationship with them. And uh, what was the, the other question? I hope that answers the first part of the question about things going um, down. You know, worst case scenario, you, you right. have to wait a little longer to get your Bitcoins delivered. Um, but there's very little chance of like loss of funds or anything like that. If it yeah, were to totally. happen, that would be completely our fault. And uh, we would eat that. But so far, we've never had that problem. Sometimes, but so like once I get yeah. a uh, once I get a Bitcoin, right? Like I don't need your service to transfer it out to another Bitcoin wallet. Is that is that correct? Correct. You get the Bitcoin delivered directly to you, to your address. So we don't know how. You generated that address. That's completely up to you. Um, like I said, we offer services to help people create Bitcoin wallets. Um, but once you have that set up, we don't we don't know your XPub. We don't know how you're deriving those addresses. That's completely uh, it's completely your domain. Now, if you lose your own keys, well, that's entirely on you, right? Uh, so we try to do a good job of supporting. Um, our customers, but that, that is very rare to be honest that people, um, that we've had customers like lose keys or whatever. I don't remember that ever really happening. Um, yeah, on that topic, private keys, I know that this is something you guys wanted to talk about a little bit, right? Like why, why private keys? Why hold your own keys? Obviously, Bold Bitcoin holds this as a fundamental um, building block to our business. And the reason being, I think, is when you zoom out, why, why do you care that other people hold their own keys, right? 
Like if you hold your own keys, then that's great. But why do you care if other people hold their own keys? I think the answer is that at the end of the day, we want to get Bitcoin to a point where Bitcoins are rarely or seldomly rehypothecated. As much as we can reduce Bitcoin rehypothecation, the better off we're all going to be, right? I think we're all aware that like the, the paper Bitcoin that was floating around this bull market was pretty astronomical. Um, now, is everybody going to hold their own keys? I don't think so. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't happen. think so. Exactly, right? Like, we, there's a lot of different ways. This there's a lot of different like levels to this, right? Some people will hold their own keys. Uh, everybody who's look, I, I have today. these covers. I have these conversations all the time. I just had this conversation yesterday with a guy. These are not stupid people. I talked to a guy yesterday. This guy owns a company. He's got 12,000 employees, right? Does he have some Bitcoin in self custody? Yeah, sure. A very small portion of his stack. He doesn't feel comfortable with it. He wants it spread out. He actually wants Bitcoin in institutional custody. Now, you know, Personally, like I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't like that, but this is gonna happen. It's gonna continue to happen. A huge amount of capital is owned or controlled by people over the age of 65. And by a huge amount, I mean something like 80% of investable capital, right? Are all of those people gonna take self-custody? The truth is, even though we all as Bitcoiners think that they probably should, will they? A lot of them aren't going to. There are people who are not super technology savvy, right? I've heard this too. Very smart guy. Owns businesses in three different industries. He's like, yo, I lose my car keys every three months or so. I don't like the idea of, of custodying my own Bitcoin. So it's going to happen from a personality perspective, from a technology perspective, and then just from a, a diversification of risk perspective. Yeah, and I, I think honestly, this is uh, sort of uh, the biggest threat to individuals not owning um, the actual physical Bitcoin, because if it's an institutional custody, there is absolutely zero guarantee that uh, whatever balance it's pre presented on the screen is actually uh, reflects their physical Bitcoin that they can eventually possess. But that's kind of a separate, uh, separate topic. Right, so how are some of the ways that we can... Uh, both expand the number of people holding their own keys and furthermore go beyond the concept of a person holding directly private keys and yet still minimize uh, the, the globally distributed trust that we currently have with institutions. Um, to answer the first point, I think collaborative custody is a great selling point there where an individual is holding their own keys, but um, they have help, essentially. And today, that trade-off is privacy. Your, uh, your multi-sig script is held by the institution. And uh, so be it. Some people may be very comfortable with that. Um, blinded XPubs might potentially reduce that trade-off and make it even easier and safer and... Uh, and less of a privacy concern to use. Exp explain what you mean. Explain what you mean by that for people who have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, sure. Uh, I'm not a resident expert in this either, but I will give you what I know. So 
when it comes to multi-sig today, um, sure, you have, th I don't know, two of three multi-sig, right? So you have three keys, two of which you need to sign a Bitcoin transaction. Now there's a, there's a fourth aspect to that. There's a fourth component. Not only do you need your three keys, but you need your multi-sig script, which is, uh, I guess you can think of it as an XBUB. And uh, without that, you cannot, you know, create and sign a transaction. In a collaborative custody model, say you hold two and then your, your institution is holding the, the third key. Well, the institution also holds on to the multi-sig script in order to be able to help you create and sign transactions. In the future, and there are people working on this, they want to find a way to reduce that privacy trade-off, make it so that the institution um, does not know your Bitcoin balances, does not know the addresses within which you hold Bitcoin until the time comes to move the entirety of your funds. So there's, well, there's that is a cool and, concept, but then that's, a, that sounds very interesting. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but wouldn't it also only be when you say to move the funds, if it's truly a two of three, then an individual, if they have their two keys, presumably could move all their funds without that institution anyway, right? Correct. So unless they needed one of the keys, you're saying, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I think what you're saying is if you lost one of your keys and needed this third party to help sign to move your funds, at that point, your balance, in a sense, would be revealed to them, if I'm hearing you right. It, as far as I understand, with the yeah. concept of the blinded XPUB, that is what would happen, yeah. yeah. And yeah. who knows, maybe further developments will... That's still Maybe pretty cool, though, safer, right? Uh, more private than that. Who knows? Don't get me wrong. That's still really it's, nice. It's that's very nice. cool. I, I mean, I can see some pretty amazing inheritance planning applications for something like that. So that's that's still within the domain of individuals holding their own private keys, right? Uh, just getting a little bit of help doing it, right? Getting getting a redundancy backup um, with that concept, uh, but for for those who listen who are listening to the open source stage in, uh, in Miami. We heard about um, this wonderful talk. I forget who, who was giving it. It was a two-part talk. There was a, an intro that was kind of like a bird's eye perspective on the three pillars of Bitcoin. And then there was a deep dive into the third pillar. And the, the pillars I'm talking about are um, money, right? So globally scaled, decentralized, and censorship-resistant money, which is Bitcoin itself. And then a global sense decentralized uh, censorship resistant payments network, which is lightning. And the guy was basically alluding to the third pillar being custody, global scale, decentralized censorship resistant custody. And what he suspects might fill that void of that third pillar is something we call um, fediment, which are Chamian emits with a distributed model. So, I, again, I'm not a super expert on this, so I'm just going to share what I know there. But the broad idea being that you could have a set of guardians. So, uh, I don't know, 15 individuals or a certain set of individuals who know how to secure private keys. And together, they create a sort of federation within which other individuals, say, friends, family, community, 
are able to hold and use Bitcoin without needing to hold and secure their own private keys. So in this world, you sort of begin to see this image of, um, of people like ourselves who know how to manage private keys. And on our backs, we carry our friends, our family, our communities, and offer them that localized distributed trust, tearing it down from the institutional model that we have today and bringing it to a far more localized level. And if, if it's possible to do this, which Fediment seems to be hinting that it is, I think that might be the, you know, the, the big move, the, 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 the thing that's mm. actually going to, you know, move the goalposts or push the ball down. That's, the like, that's like a huge paradigm shift. So what's the, what's the saying? Is it uncle Jim, the guy that, what's the, the name of the guy in, in any given group that, that knows about stuff that uncle Jim, yeah, the uncle Jim, uncle Jim. Yeah. That's what I've okay, heard. So, so basically if I'm understanding this right, potentially in the future, the uncle Jim's are actually going to replace institutions as, as the uh, trustees for, for people's wealth. Uh, potentially. And, and when you think about how widespread this could become, I mean, that, that's why they call it the third pillar. I think Bitcoin and Lightning have already spread globally for good reason. Uh, this might be the way in which custody and uh, the reduction of institutional custody spreads uh, across the world really quickly. Because when it becomes distributed like this, um, there's no telling how fast it could be adopted around the world. I mean, you're already seeing sort of these mock versions of this. So for example, Bitcoin Beach Wallet is a community bank, right? It is a, it is a, as far as I understand, a model where a few people hold keys uh, for the community and the community just downloads the app and onboards with an account within that little federation. Um, I, I don't know the, the details there of how Galois manages that system, but I do understand that it is a distributed uh, it's a federated. It's a federation of of key holders, essentially. Yeah. So I mean, you're already seeing that today without even the concept of Fediment, but Fediment could bring it to that next level. Where I, I think that within Bitcoin Beach Wallet, for example, users don't necessarily have the privacy. I think that like the federation members can kind of see the account holdings of everybody. Is that trade off today? Uh, in a Fediment universe. Even the Federation guardians or key holders do not know who owns how much Bitcoin or which addresses belong to them, et cetera. Right. Fascinating. Go ahead, Shane. Yeah, Nate, I was going to ask, um, I'm sure you're aware of the concern that there's been over the last however long it's been when it came out that presumably Wasabi, you know, had some weak points in its uh, coin join type you know, service and chain analysis could, I mean, do you guys still, what's your position? This is a question from the Telegram group. So, you know, people are curious where you're at with regards to supporting Wasabi. Ah, uh, yeah. The old privacy topic. It's funny. Um, I, I was thinking about like, why is Bitcoin privacy such a hotbed of vitriol and abusive commentary from like all sides. It's wild. I, 
I still struggle to understand that. And I, I think I have an answer to that question. It's like, say you're making a product like a, a vacuum cleaner and your competitor comes out with a vacuum cleaner that's cheaper than yours or something, and, but it's just not as good. You're just going to like show the lack of benefits of that product and prove that yours is better, maybe with an infomercial where you know, you're comparing them side by side. But with Bitcoin privacy, I think that when you perceive another product as having a detriment or a, a, you know, some, something that could reveal their users' um, identities or, or part of their identities, right? Reducing their privacy. Because it's a privacy thing, people perceive those, those issues and they get really, really um, angry about them because at the end of the day, like this is a really serious topic. Certain people need extremely good privacy. They have a certain OPSEC model. Um, so I think it's a space that just breeds a lot of toxicity necessarily, you know? Like, of course you should get really mad at another product that you perceive to be doing a bad job of providing privacy, right? So. I like it. I, I like the fact that that, that exists in this yeah. um, ecosystem of, you know, some people, I, I like to call it a community because I believe most of the people involved with Bitcoin who are Bitcoiners share similar values. You know, that really freaks some people out. There are some people who are like, there's no community. You know, we're all individuals and all that. And it's like, look, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But um, I'm going to call it that. And I don't care if you don't like it. Uh, I think it's good for the community that people are openly critical of, of other people's stuff if they think they're off track because it just sharpens everyone. And at the end of the day, it makes Bitcoin a better thing. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, it's just a little, it just gets a little bit spicy with the privacy topic, it seems. So I'll, I'll just quickly give like my bird's eye perspective. I think that Wasabi 1.0 was, you know, a, a very big step for Bitcoin privacy, right? It was, it was a great project. Um, obviously, uh, you know, being the first of its kind, it, there were foot guns. If you didn't know exactly what you were doing, you could potentially remix uh, UTXOs and reduce the privacy that you had obtained. Uh, and the samurai guys picked up that, you know, 1.0 model and made some improvements uh, to reduce the number of foot guns that existed. Um, so I kind of see like Wasabi having made like this like beautiful sandcastle and samurai coming around being like, oh, well, there's like issues with it, right? Like if you make a mistake here, if you don't have a t you know, a, a, an initial transaction that's properly constructed, bit of a foot gun. So we're going to make a better sandcastle. But meantime, the Wasabi guys have kind of like gotten off the beach and gone into the woods and are starting to build a cabin. And that's what Wabi-Sabi is. So the Wabi-Sabi coin join protocol is just this like completely revamped new vision of how coin joins um, can be done that makes it extremely cheap, uh, a lot cheaper than Wasabi 1.0. Um, I don't know if anybody here has used Wasabi 2.0, the second wallet, uh, but you no longer need to even know what a UTXO is. Uh, you just, you literally just hit 
coin join and your wallet starts to coin join. Um, you can optimize for speed or for anonymity or for um, uh, pri uh, price cost. And so basically Wasabi 2.0 is this uh, wallet that basically anybody could use. Uh, you no longer need to know really how a coin join works or uh, think about your UTXOs. Um, and that's the, that's the way we need to go, right? We need to make coin joins so cheap that they become kind of the, the cheaper way to use Bitcoin. And users do not need to understand what a UTXO is. So does it, Nate, yeah. does it consolidate as well or just anonymize more the UT or is it UTXO for UTXO, although you don't need to know what one is, or does it actually also allow you to basically not only more privatize those, but to consolidate them into, let's say, a larger UTXO? I'm just curious. Yeah, great. That's a great question. So with Wabi Sabi, you can have coin joins of various output sizes. So um, people have been tweeting out like uh, mempool.space, uh, sorry, blockstream um, transactions of large Wabi Sabi coin joins. So I encourage you all to kind of go check them out. You'll see that the outputs uh, vary in size quite drastically. So if you put in like, I don't know, a, you know, a 0.8 size DTXO, you could get out. If other people are putting in some large sizes as well, you could end up with a 0 0.4, 0 0.5 size DTXO as well. And so what I would say is that for the most part, uh, Wasabi 2.0 will use um, single UTXOs as much as possible when you're making a payment. So if you're trying to pay someone and uh, X amount, it'll try to use a UTXO that's as close to that amount as possible in order to not combine UTXOs. Um, so again, like there, there, when it comes to Bitcoin privacy, there's no perfect solution, right? We're, we're really trying to make do with, with the best. And I personally really enjoy where Wasabi 2.0 is. Uh, I, I know that there's this whole other topic that I think we need to separate from Wasabi 2.0, the coin join protocol, which is the fact that the ZK snarks coordinator, right? Uh, has decided that they were going to potentially blacklist UTXOs from participating in coin joins, right? Um, so I think that that just is worth reiterating. The Wasabi 2.0 protocol, aptly named Wabi-Sabi, which is Japanese for um, good enough, I believe. I think it's like the name of the, the art of recombining broken pottery with like golden glue. Well, um, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no. So it's like, it's like philosophically, it's basically saying, you know, nothing is perfect. Um, and here's our best attempt at creating a usable um, and somewhat elegant solution to Bitcoin privacy. Cool. All right. So, so we've got, we've got about nine minutes left in the show. Um, what I'd like to do is just open it up, open it up. If you're in the audience and you want to ask a, a question to Nate, about bull Bitcoin. Now's your time. You can come up here on the stage if you want to do it live. You're also welcome to um, ask in our Telegram group. That's t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. Again, t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. You can put it in text in there. Obviously, if you're up here on the panel, you're welcome to ask as well. Let's get started with D. Hey, Nate. 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 Hey
Yeah, just while we're getting some people up here. Um, I was just wondering uh, for your margin stake, you know, if I buy 100 bucks worth of Bitcoin on full Bitcoin, uh, you know, what, what are you taking uh, as your uh, margin there? Um, presence, like, you know, how, how do you um, kind of work around um, around that? Because I see them um, a lot around here, obviously. Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, we, we know the ShakePay guys. They're great guys. They've chosen a different business model, which is uh, custodial. They use Coinbase custody on the back end. So, so if that is something that you auto, then I would recommend Bitcoin. Kind of um, there. If you don't want your friends and family uh, holding their keys, so they're holding their coins with Coinbase custody, then I would not recommend ShakePay. That's that's all I'll say. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I actually didn't know that. So that's uh, that's good information. Thanks so much. Sorry, you, you cut off in the middle there, but I, I got the gist of it. So uh, thanks again, Nate. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so how fast um, provide any guarantees? How fast customers get their get their Bitcoin once purchased? Yes. So if you want your Bitcoins instantly or as as quickly as the next block, uh, you can choose an express transaction in which case you pay the fees for that transaction. If you do not want to pay the fees, you simply opt into the default, which is the batch transaction. And I think our batcher is currently running every two. Um, and uh, so the longest you will wait is two hours. If you happen to buy your Bitcoin uh, five minutes before the next batch goes out, then you only wait five minutes. Nate, as a customer, I can um, confirm that. Uh, okay, sorry, go ahead. I, I just said that as a customer, I can confirm that that's true. I've never had to wait more than two hours for, for my coins to arrive. Okay, that's cool. Um, so now, I presume that two-hour time frame also gives you guys uh, the flexibility to select the cheapest mining fee, correct? Canada. Okay. I'm sorry, I just completely ran over Nesky's question. No, 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 no. Nesky's question is good. Um, I don't think we allow for uh, variable fees. We basically, we estimate what fee will get you into the next block because we assume that if you want an express transaction, you want it now. So um, that's that's kind of the, the short answer there. Customers outside of Canada, bull Bitcoin buy and sell, unfortunately, is not available outside of Canada. You need a Canadian bank account, a Canadian KYC, et cetera. That being said, uh, we do have bitcoinsupport.com, which is available internationally at the moment. And uh, we will be, you know, over the next 12 months, uh, announcing more international products. Aside from the, the, um, the lack of the, the functionality that, they, that you mentioned, um, are there any other hurdles that international customers uh, have to um, get over that, that Canadian ones don't? Sorry, can you reformulate that question? So when, when, a, when someone who's not a Canadian citizen wants to use a bull Bitcoin, you mentioned that there was a couple of the, of the services that do because they can't do the Canadian KYC. I was, I was wondering um, what other difficulties uh, people run into um, you know, from, if, if they're not Canadian citizens. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a loaded a non- question. Yeah, as a non-Canadian, the only thing you can do with Bull Bitcoin is buy a 
non-custodial consulting package from us on Bitcoin support. Um, of course, there are the do-it-yourself guides on there, which are free and available to everyone if you want to learn how to hold your own keys or give the guides to your friend at bitcoinsupport.com. Um, yeah, so sorry, I, I can't answer your question any further than that. You have to be a Canadian uh, citizen with a bank account if you want to use Bull Bitcoin for the actual exchange. Nate, you I'm just going to add something there uh, about the Bitcoin support. If you, if I might, if I may, is that every package comes with at least twenty-five dollars worth of Bitcoin wherever you are in the world. That is something that we offer, and that might be of any usefulness for you guys to know. Thank you. Awesome. All right, about three minutes left, and we're going to let you um, have some time to make some final comments, Nate, before we wrap the show. I just want to say yeah. I appreciate what you guys do personally. Like, I think you guys' heart is in the right place. I'm a big fan of Francis. Um, I like the way the man thinks. Um, and, and I think you guys probably share a similar ethos to, to that of Swan, which is do what's best for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners and everything else flows from that and follows from that. So, um, We love yeah. Swan. We love Corey. Corey is an unbelievable individual. I love what he's been doing over the last six months, you know, fighting for... Uh, the poor souls who got caught in those Ponzi schemes. Um, yeah, there's a really good relationship between uh, Francis and Corey. Actually, I think they're hanging out today um, in El Salvador. And uh, I will say, I, I love what Swan Bitcoin is doing with respect to education. I think you guys are nailing it. This is the most important thing we can all do in the Bitcoin only space is promote Bitcoin education. That's how we increase self usage. Um, thank you for building Bitcoinerjobs.com. It's been extremely helpful for us. Um, on that note, you know, this bear market is creating a lot of havoc in the markets and a lot of companies are struggling and laying people off. That is not the case for bull Bitcoin. We are a lean, mean machine. We are hiring. Uh, so if there are any developers out there who um, would like to chat with me, um, please reach out. My DMs are open. We'll um, be using Bitcoinerjobs.com again in the future, but I'm always open to chatting with more developers. So I'll leave it on that note. Thank you, guys. Yep, fantastic. All right, so we're pretty much out of time. Um, Nate, do you want to make any closing comments or plug anything you want to plug? By the way, if you're listening to this, throw Nate a follow. I thought this was great. Um, I appreciate it. His handle on Twitter is at NK1, the number one, TZ. Throw this guy a follow. Closing comments, Nate? No, thank you. I think I've shielded everything I wanted to. Thanks, guys. You bet, brother. I appreciate you guys uh, coming and hanging out with us this morning. So that pretty much does it for the show today. I'm going to hand it over to Chris for any uh, announcements from Bitcoin Magazine. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate both what uh, you guys do at Bull Bitcoin as well as Swan Bitcoin. You guys are awesome partners. Uh, today, uh, we are doing Bitcoin Magazine Live, 1 p.m. Eastern to 10 a.m. or at 10 10 a.m. Pacific is the start time. We're doing news and notes with P, Q, and myself. We're having Ben Prentice, the co-founder or co-creator of WTF Happened in 1971. 
And then we will be joined by Dylan McLaren, Sam Rule, Bitcoin Magazine's um, analyst, macro analysts and on-chain analysts to talk about uh, the contagion that's playing out in the markets. They just had their uh, Bitcoin Magazine Pro newsletter or report drop last night. So uh, looking forward to that. And back over to you, Alex. Thanks. Right on. That does it for today. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for two hours. Do it live on Twitter Spaces. You're welcome to come join us and participate live. It's a great place to learn about Bitcoin, a great place for getting your morning news, a preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin. Also a podcast if you can't catch the live show. Up on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. You can follow me or Swan Bitcoin to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine, sponsors of the show, my crew, Aunt Shane, Sats for Life. Producer Jacob, I am your host, Alex Danzig. I work with Swan Bitcoin. DM me if you want to know anything about Swan. I'm happy to help you. Thanks again to the speakers and all the speakers who come up here on a regular basis and share your time to teach people about this bright orange future. This is what we call getting on the mission. 10 million new Bitcoiners need to be minted. And then after that, there's 7 billion people on the planet that need to hear about this thing. So if you're not on the mission, get on the mission. I love all you guys. Everybody go out there today and have a great day. Crush it. <laughs>